Revivify, design and building pros podcast. Hi, this is Grace Mace, and we're super excited to have Kimberly Martin with us. She is the CEO of Cineberg Scape, and so she's based in Seattle. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you. All right. Well, I know you for a couple years now, and I really, I heard your story, how you got started, and I'd just love for you to share this with our audience. How'd you get started? <laughs> it's a, it's a little crazy. It was it was more of a fluke than something I really kind of went to. I was actually just doing a different industry and decided that I, I didn't enjoy that industry much. Kind of looked around, um, had a friend that, that was willing to kind of give me some grunt labor, and I kind of learned some of the basics, and it just kind of exploded from there. I mean, my, my great-grandfather was a, a carpenter, master carpenter, so I had it in the blood, and uh, found that I really just loved working with my hands. Well, working with your hands and actually committing and being in the industry and really work through the details. And along the way, obviously, your journey took a, a bit of turn, but it turned out to be the best for you. Well, I suspect along the way, you faced some challenges too. And what were they and how did you overcome them? Yeah, a, a number of challenges. I mean, the first is it, you know, obviously being a woman in the industry. It's it's one of those that when I was working for another company before I started my company, it you know I worked with guys pretty much. Right. I was the only woman out in the field, and I felt like I had to prove myself every job site that I went to. You know, I had to reprove myself, which was a huge challenge, and it it, it gets a little old. But I'm also one of those that perseveres and kind of went, you know. I'm just going to keep plugging away. I'm going to keep learning. And eventually I really gained a lot of their respect. Um, it took a while. And then when I started my, my own business and, and kind of went into the deck building industry, it was the same thing. A lot, a lot of the homeowners that I meet with are, are guys and they're like, so well, you're the one meeting us and you have people that do the work. And I'm like, no, I, I actually do most of the work myself <laughs> and it really surprises them. But usually by the end of the project, I've, I've won over most of the husbands Right. The wives are easy, but I've won over most of the husbands because they see how detail oriented I am. I show up when I say I'm going to show up. I get the job done. But it is. It's you're still proving yourself every time you meet with a new client. Right. But you talk about was you had to win the husband and the the woman or the wife seemed to be easier. Why do you think that's the case? Women relate very well to women, right? Mm, and women absolutely. know intuitively, it seems like, that women can get the job done. And when I go in and deal with it, not that I, the husbands aren't great, don't get me wrong. A lot of them are, are really great, but it's one of those that their initial reaction is like, oh, you're a woman and you're going to be working with tools? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because a lot of times I know more about tools and how to use power tools than a lot of them do. Right. And I think it's it may just make them a little uncomfortable or a little like, okay, I haven't really thought about, gosh, I have daughters. Would they maybe be interested in do that? Because it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to register. Right. It's normal for a guy to go in and work with his hands. Not as normal for a woman to do it. But you talk about just your level attention to detail was what caught their attention and how yeah, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Right. And I think a lot of women are. Right. So once I kind of talk about my process and stuff like that, most of the guys get right on board because they're like, oh, wow, you actually think about that? I'm like, yes, yeah. I plan it. <laughs> I find that makes the job go smoother. Well, that makes sense because, I mean, end of the day, everyone wants to have high quality work and the level of detail matters. Sometimes, 
when you think about a deck and the whole entire landscape, is the level of detail is what makes it visually compelling and interesting. And so having that attention to detail, it does get the results to you know achieve the vision they, they desire versus when things, the detail's not done correctly, you're bound to have that nagging feeling at the end of the project. So, Yeah, well, I do. I mean, the client may not notice it, but I'm like, <laughs> all right, is that is that really acceptable or do I need to redo it? But, you know, it, it shows because it's, I have a number of my current clients or clients that I've had over the last year that long before their project was ever done, they're referring me to their friends. So I'm not even done with their deck and they're calling all their friends going, hey, if you're thinking about having your deck redone, this is who you need to talk to. So it's great. Well, I think you're you're doing a fantastic job because that is the cheapest way to get continued projects, their ongoing referral, word of mouth. That's the most effective and most probably the most uh, rewarding for you as well. It is. Well, by the end of, I would say probably kind of by the end of my second year, I was 100% referral based. I don't actually really do any advertising. That's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been great. So I imagine you probably have to deal with some challenging clients. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> you don't need to name names, I understand. But if you don't mind sharing some of the stories and how did you overcome or how did you manage those, tread those challenging situations? Well, you know, I mean, they're always varied because anytime you go on to, and, and, and construction in general, it's especially remodeling. There's what's on the plan and then what really happens in the actual, right? Right. And in between the plan and the actual, a lot of times, usually the problem children that I have is you also have inspections going on, right? Because a second story deck or, or a deck that's above 30 inches requires a permit. So it's, it's managing the expectations of the client that goes, look, here's how we're planning it. Right. Here's how I plan to build it. But there's this unknown, which is the inspection process, and I can't control it. So usually a lot of the problems that I have that come up with my homeowners are because of that process. And it's really about managing expectations. Right. Sitting down with them, you know, and go, look, things may change. You know, every city, every county has their their little difference. Every inspector has their pieces that they are really specific about or really focused on, whereas other inspectors focus on other things. Right. But it's really, you know, I found that, that when I deal with a client that's a little unhappy or whatever, it's usually about managing those expectations and really sitting down with them and kind of going, okay, where do we fail in the process? Was it the communication? Was it the time frame? Was it? So I try to really be a good communicator with my clients. And I find that, that usually solves 99% of the problems I have with any of the clients that I do. And, and that's a really small percentage of my business, right? Cause I've, I've learned also to kind of trust my gut when I'm sitting down with a potential client. Right. I actually kind of went, I don't think I'm going to be a fit for your project because I listen to my intuitiveness. Uh-huh. And sometimes you kind of know, depending upon the kind of questions they're asking or how they're asking them or the details that they're really focused on. They just may not be a good fit for me, not that their project's not a great project. It just may not be a fit for the way I do business. Right. And let me ask you, how do you, in those situations, how do you respectfully decline those opportunities? 
Usually I go to them and I go, you know, I ask kind of if they have a specific time frame in mind when they're trying to have their project done, because a lot of times that doesn't necessarily fit into mind if they're trying to do it for a party or something like that, which I do find. Right. But more often it's, it's more of a, look, I think you have a great project. I think this, you know, this could, this could be really, really great for you guys, but based upon where I'm at with my business, I just don't think, you know, this project is a good fit for my portfolio with where I'm going in my business, but I can refer you to a couple other companies that it may be a better fit for. Okay, great. So be, be honest and forthcoming with them from the very get go and also give them a clear referrals for them to have next steps. So they're not ending with you. Yeah, I don't, I don't want them to, to go out on it. Not that I pay attention to Yelp and stuff, but a lot of my clients do that go out there and go, you know, we know this person, she was kind of a jerk. <laughs> That's not what I want out there. You know, it's because there are projects that are either a little too small or, you know, I just don't think they're a doable project. And I don't really want to tell the customer that I think they're kind of pie in the sky with where they are money-wise. I, mean, I had a client, potential client the other day that's like, it's a big deck and it's got railing because it's, you know, it's five feet up off the ground and railing's not inexpensive. And they're like, yeah, we only want to spend about, you know, this amount for it. And I'm like, huh, not sure that's doable to have a no maintenance deck for that price tag. But right. I didn't want to say him. I said, look, I'll bid it out. I got a couple options for you. Let's see where the numbers lie and then have a conversation about it. Okay. But in the back of my mind, I know that the amount they've set aside for it isn't going to be enough not to do what they want. Right. So. That's fair. And I, I love how you talk about managing expectations. What would your our top three tips for anyone who would be interested to understand? What's the best way to manage expectations? And you already mentioned about how to be respectful and also give them a clear information for them, be educating them so they can manage their way through. So what. Yeah, it, it, it's communication. Communication. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really staying in good communication with the client, being as clear as you can, dumb things down. I find that sometimes we, a lot of times in the industry, we talk in jargon. Most of your potential clients aren't going to know that or clients don't know the jargon. So you got to kind of dumb it down and do it in basic, what I call basic English. <laughs> right. So, but it's, it's all about just staying in communication with your clients. Right. And, and right. yeah, I mean, it's just intuitive for me to be, yeah, you want to always be respect for your clients because you don't know who they know, right? right? I never want to burn a bridge if I can avoid it. Right. So, I, you know, be respectful and, and take the time to, to get back to them and set the expectations kind of right at the beginning. I, I let my clients know it can be up to 48 hours before I get back to you because I have other projects going on. May not be able to answer the phone when you call. So, but communication is the big key. That's great. And I mean, I love that you just talk about really comes down to your having a sense of self-awareness and able to read the other person or your homeowner clients to making the assessment to be have that empathy to understand they may not understand the jargons or terminologies. How do I break it down, simplify in terms where they can understand, they can relate to. So educating them the way they want to be educated so they can make the right decision for themselves. Yes, it, it all comes from past experiences, right? Where right. I was saying one thing and the client thought I was saying something else. I mean, learning to educate the client and, 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 and respect being 
for myself, being the expert at what I do so that I can educate them, you know, that's all from past experience, right? I've, I've had, I've, I've made all the mistakes, right? Where I didn't communicate with the client, where I wasn't respectful, where I didn't educate them to the point where they actually understood it. So, you know, I've, I grow and learn from every project and every client that I deal with. That's awesome. Well, the reason why you grow your company so well over the years is because all these things that you just described, being respectful, mm-hmm. educating, but all these came from a good learning through the experiences. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And be able to be nimble and adjust as you go along, as you grow your business. And, and every client teaches you some valuable lessons and taking those lessons in, in heart and modify some behaviors to make sure that you continue to do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really what it is for anybody in the industry, not just women in the industry. Now, so. do you have a favorite project? If so, you don't have to name names either. I understand all your projects are probably favorite, just like you like talk about kids. <laughs> but is there a favorite project that you just think about and just makes you smile? There's a couple. One was a full front yard, backyard landscape mm-hmm. that I did for a couple here in Bothell, the area that I live in. And they were really open to, to almost everything that we discussed because it was – he had kind of some thoughts of this is what I want to do. And I said, well, what about these options? She was really open to it, but it, you know, we did a full front yard, backyard landscape. We did water features. We did a bluestone paper patio. We did integrated fire pit, just a lot of really unique pieces. Obviously some of the drudgery, you know, irrigation systems and and the basics, but the clients were so stoked at the end of it. Right. That was just, I mean, he wrote that last check and he's just smiling the whole time. He's like, I know it's expensive, but God, I love my backyard. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so that was one. One of my early ones I did uh, kind of a, a two-deck system with some paver patio between the two because they had a small deck they wanted to build off their, directly off the back of their house for, for the hot tub. Right. And then further out in the yard, they had another deck because they had a quite a slope. So the deck gave them more usable space, right? But they didn't want to connect the two and make their whole backyard a deck. So we did some paver patios. There's some natural grass and stuff. And again, just phenomenal clients, right? Just phenomenal clients that super stoked, you know, happy to look at different options. We talked, you know, we ran into a few problems, some dry rot and some things that that were unexpected. And they just kind of were like, we trust you, you know, we we know you're going to build it you know to to code or beyond code and make sure it's really safe for us and you know i take pictures along the way to make sure that they're well educated again but it was just a really fun project and just just great clients wow well i think a huge touch point is the fact that you spend the time educating them and help them to feel clear or confident to make those right decisions and so the and and plus the craftsmanship you deliver really delight them at the end that's where that's, you know, if they're happy and smiling at the end, that, right. that means I did my job. That's awesome. Now you kind of talked about the landscape piece of it. I'm kind of curious. Do you see the trend that's evolving over the time? Like I, zero scape, sustainable landscape, hardscape. What's the trend that you're seeing now? How do you think it's going to evolve for the next couple of years? Well, you know, it's, it's one of those that the zero, and everybody uses the jargon. So let me, let me keep it very, very simple, Perfect. but the sustainability of your yard with minimal maintenance is really the direction. I think a lot of people are going 
that doesn't necessarily mean all hardscape. It just means a yard that they either bring a service in, you know, once a month or a couple times a month to do the basics, or it's something that they can do, you know, a couple hours in a weekend, every other weekend. Cause people just don't want to be tied to their yards. Right. Unless you've got kind of that avid gardener. So you really have to incorporate all the pieces, which is, you know, the irrigation. So they're not out there having to water their lawn. Right. right. I mean, that's, let's face it. Nobody, nobody really likes to move their hoses around every day. <laughs> it's also creating, I find a lot of people want to create kind of different areas. So they don't want everything to look the same, but maybe they like this little pocket where we, you know, if they have the yard for it, we create this little bench and this little hidden pocket where they can kind of disappear into the yard. I'm finding a lot more of that. And water is becoming huge, you know, fountains, you know, creek beds, you know, something to do with water. Almost every landscape I'm doing incorporates something of that, even if it's as simple as some sort of a bird bath. Huh. And then I try to find plants that really fit into and, and educate the clients, plants that are, are native to the area that we're in. Right. And then probably the last piece I'm seeing is almost everybody, even on decks, is doing lighting now. Right. Uh, they want to okay. be able to enjoy it after it turns dark. Right. So low voltage lighting is, is a big piece of almost every landscape I do and definitely becoming more and more every deck that I'm doing. That makes sense because now with the West Coast and Seattle area, evening time can be quite pleasant as well. And so to be yes. able to extend the, the outdoor living space as part of their lifestyle makes complete sense. Yes. Yes. And you're seeing it across the country. When I talk right. to other people that they're in the industry and stuff, it, it's across the country. People are trying to, to move more outdoors. Well, okay, unless you're Arizona in the summer. Right. <laughs> But it is, you're seeing a lot more people doing, you know, big barbecues or outdoor kitchens or creating kind of that outdoor patio room. Right. And that's, that's really the trend. That makes sense. And then I imagine also the front yard, the curbside peel, you hear this from realtor quite frequently. And we're focused on that. Yes, absolutely. What are things that matters if let's say people are ready to get the property for sale before the summer starts, things that clearly curb peels definitely it, it's a it's an yeah. important value that add to the property. So, yeah. what kind of things would you advise people to consider? Making sure that your address can be seen from the street, so you know big letters that people can see as they're driving by lit up. Making sure your trees don't obscure your house or your shrubs aren't overgrown, right? Just keep it on neat, trimmed, maybe replace them with dwarf varieties or something like that. And then a neat, tidy, well-maintained walkway up to your front door is really nice. That makes sense. Just as it caught my attention, I realized that when you think about outdoor living, pets is part of the many families' lifestyle. Oftentimes, I understand for a dog specifically, outdoor living is, is critical to make sure they, they also have their own space. And when you're designing for family with pets, how do you advise them? What do you suggest them to consider? You know, it's one of those that do they, uh, you know, with their dog, is it spend more time indoor or outdoor? Do they have a dog door so it has easy access? Right. Obviously, make sure the yard is fenced to keep the dog, you know, contained especially if it's if it's a runner dog you know not every dog will will disappear from a yard right 
you know, the Invisifence in some places is really, really popular. The problem is, is most people end up cutting the wire at some point, unless it's really buried deep enough or well marked because they go to plant something and they cut through the, it's a very thin wire. Ah, so okay. I find I do more fences than invisible fences. Mm-hmm. But the other piece that I talked to the dog about is, you know, when you're doing a yard is, okay, does your dog like to roll in grass? Then let's make sure there's some grass for them to, to roll in. You right. know, do they have a specific place they go and do their duty? <laughs> the poop town is like, right. oh, you know, let's, let's make that an area that's just dirt with, you know, that and maybe we screen it off a little bit. I mean, so there's a lot of things to consider with pets. It also depends upon the size of the pet. Do right. they like to play fetch and chase? Do you get a lot of sun in your backyard? Because I had a client that their dog doesn't play. I mean, we literally removed all the lawn in the backyard because it was a soggy mess. They got no sun back there, right? So we ended up creating, and their dog was small, that they didn't really need a space for the dog to run. But that's not doable for everybody. So it's just, again, communication with the pet, finding out, you know, what the pet does. Do they take their dog to the park so the dog doesn't tear up their yard? Right. Yeah. And then designing it for that for that specific needs of that pet. That makes sense. Yeah, the, just even think about landscape, outdoor space. There's a lot of different considerations to make sure all pieces come together to result a positive, delightful experience in the outdoor. Yeah, and what I'm finding actually, one of the trends for a lot of dogs that for people, again, it's it's a convenience factor, is there's now a couple of turf companies that are specifically making pet-friendly turf that's a little bit hypoallergenic for the dogs so that, you know, and it, it drains well and stuff like that. It's easy to clean up their poop town area, but it gives grass an area that they can roll and play in without having a lot of maintenance or having, you know, sun and other issues going on in their yards. The years I know you, and I always find you so supportive of all the women. This is a bit of a <laughs> shift here. I kind of curious if, have you received any supports from other women in, in the industry? Uh, yes. I always look at it from the perspective. I, I'm part of the uh, National Association of Home Builders, Professional Women in Building, which basically is is a great group that helps give support. And anybody coming in the industry, especially women, I always recommend try to find a local chapter because it's it's a great support system, right? So I also look at it from the perspective of I have a specific mentor that had been in the industry for 20 plus years, gave me some really great knowledge when I was getting my business started, gave me the support to go, yes, you can actually start your own business and survive on it, right? right. <laughs> Let's face it, there's been years where you can't. So, right. you know, it's one of those. So it was great when, when I was getting started that, that she gave me a lot of support. But I also look at it when anybody that I meet that's out in the industry, I always look at it from the perspective of they give me support because there's always something I can learn. Right. Because not everybody does what I do or has the same history that I do. So maybe something from their background or the specific industry that they work in could mm-hmm. give me some knowledge it gives me knowledge. It may be something that at some point I may be able to apply to my own business. Right. So I look at it as I learn something from every woman that I meet that's in the industry. That's very impressive. And I know from my experience work over the years with you is you've done the same thing for me. You inspire me. You would continue to find ways to help me to understand things and including me and lifting me up. And, and I see that with you with other 
how you support other PWB community. And I try. I mean, I've, I've always, you know, even from a young kid with, with my folks and stuff, we, we were taught it's better to give than to receive, right? And I've always felt that way. And it's something that I've applied into my business world. It's like, I'd, I'd rather try to support somebody else and give something else. It eventually will come around for me when I need it. But I'm not looking for the, what can I get out of this? It's what can I give to somebody else to bring them a little higher, get them better knowledge or get them the next job. You definitely talk the talk and walk the walk with about <laughs> giving back. And I see this over and over. So thank you so very much, Kimberly, for all you do. So uh, it, 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 you know, it makes me happy, right? When I see other women successful, whether they're in this industry or just successful in general, it just makes me warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> Kimberly, <laughs> you're awesome. Well, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I'm sure a lot of people would like to get in touch with you and learn more about your, what you do. How would they contact you? There's a couple of ways. Email is always good. As long as they understand, I don't necessarily get to it every day. And it's Kim, K-I-M at, and then it's Seinbergscapes.com. And it's, it's not the easiest to spell, but it's C-Y-N-E-B-U-R-G-S-C-A-P-E-S.com. And then... I do have social media. I don't know what it is offhand. You can contact me through my website, which is www.seinbergscapes.com. Or you can always give me a call. And my, my cell phone number is 425-829-1286. Again, with the caveat that if I don't recognize the number, leave me a voicemail. I will get back to you. Perfect. <laughs> hey, Kimberly, I'm kind of curious. What's the story behind your business name? Uh, it's actually a derivative of my first name in Gaelic, which is my back, my history. Oh, is that right? Yep. That's interesting. And it, once somebody knows it, they don't generally forget it. No, I won't. Now I get it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really awesome to speak with you. And thank you so much for taking your time, Kimberly. Yeah, I very much appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revivify Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Brought to you by Bayrap.